Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. You know, I addressed a moment ago uh, those whom I haven't gotten to know yet, those whom I haven't met yet. Uh, now I'll address uh, those who, who do know me uh, and, you can, and those who, who you might want to talk to. Uh, those who know me know that when the bishop shows up, he sort of comes with a warning label. He just does, because you never know what he's going to do next. And the, the sound ministry, which is just incredible, they just roll with the, you know, they just roll with it. Whatever the bishop's going to do next, wow, let's see. But I also come with a warning label that, that um, I have lived out for 40 years of ministry, uh, a value of preaching that says, you know, my job is to really comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so those who know and been with me in preaching, you know, uh, so, so if you're comfortable today, I, I'm sorry. If you're afflicted and need comfort, come. I need to say that, no, you know what? I need to pray right now because uh, what God's put on my heart today deserves. Lord Jesus, your word says that in you, in you, in you, we live and move and have our being. I pray with all my heart, Lord, as we open your word today, that we would come before your throne of grace and that you would hear exactly what you want us to hear from you. Come, Lord. And all of God's people said, amen. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word emaciated. If you want to know some other words that the thesaurus uh, perhaps offers, uh, skinny, gaunt, scrawny, skeletal, famished, lean, starved, I have become convinced that uh, we are in the midst of a 21st century reformation, and some of you uh, may be familiar with the 16th century reformation, which Anglicanism is a product of, and uh, when, when those who said, you know what, we are going to live by God's Word, we are going to discover in that God's will and we are going to live his ways. And any reformation is made up of those three things, his word, his will, his ways. And we see it over and over again, all the way back even to the Hebrew people, where they would come to the Lord, then they would fall away. They would come to the Lord, then they would fall away. And he always had to bring them back and bring them back to his word. So I believe we're in the midst of a reformation. But one of the things that we're learning in this reformation is that many, many churchgoers, they've been in church all of their life. 
many, many Western Christians are emaciated, skinny, gaunt, scrawny, skeletal, famished, lean, starved theologically. Now, who's to blame for this reality? Not you, the saints, the church. The church is to blame because we have not done our job over a long period of time of equipping the saints, of discipling the saints, of growing and maturing the saints in God's Word. Preparing the saints for all you need in this world. I bring to you three theologies today that I believe American or Western Christians are particularly emaciated in. Sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. Providence, the providence of God provision, God's provision. Now, as I get into this, I need to say to you, providence actually is not a word in the English Bible. It's go, it goes along with other words, like there's no word, the Bible. There's no word trinity. There's no word discipleship. There's no word evangelism. There's no word exposition. There's no word counseling. There's no word for ethics. There's no word for politics. There, oh, Thank you there's, that there's no word for politics. <laughs> you see, there, there are concepts and realities in the Bible that don't necessarily have a word, but it doesn't mean that they don't exist. None of those words I just mentioned are in the Bible, which shows the reality that words point to something more important. Even though the words are precious and indispensable and we read, mark, and inwardly digest God's Word all the time. Sovereignty, those of you who do know that sovereign, the sovereignty of God is the fact that He is Lord of all creation. That He sits upon a throne and rules and reigns. He exercises his rule. This rule is exercised through God's authority, yes, as a king. The Bible does talk about that. His control over all things and his presence with his covenantal people. Who is his covenantal people? We are. And throughout all his creation. In this case, the Bible inspired and God-given, which we believe with all of our hearts, God's inspired words, but they actually point to greater, deeper, and richer realities. And one of the reasons why we're so emaciated is the church has not called us to truly read Mark and inwardly digest his word. The church has not called us to come to the richness and the glory of what even some of, his, one of, some of the words mean. Most of you know that sovereignty and providence are not the same. God's sovereignty, as I've said, is the right, His right, His right 
as king and the power to do all he decides to do. We hear it in Job. I know that you can do all things, Job says, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. But notice, for instance, even in what Job just said, nothing in that definition of sovereignty refers to God's wisdom or God's plans. It's mostly just right and power. He has the right. It's our, it, it's our, it's our job to acknowledge his right. Not that he needs that. You, you do know he doesn't need you or me. You know he doesn't need you or me, right? He cherishes us. He, he takes great pleasure in us. But he doesn't need us. And he certainly doesn't need us to acknowledge his power and his glory. He wants us to because he knows what acknowledging those things do for us. And because he loves us. You have the right, Lord, and you have the power to do what you decide to do. When he decides to do a thing, he does it, and no one can stop him. That is sovereignty. So in order to fully understand sovereignty through a Christian lens rather than just a philosophical lens, because believe me, there are a lot of Christians these days who are really getting it mixed up they are, they are thinking more philosophy than they are theology. And, and philosophy is not a bad thing. It really isn't. A, a degree in it is not necessarily going to feed your family, but it's not a bad thing. But we have to realize we can't just look at things through a philosophical point of view or, or even an ideology, we have to bring the other things we know about God from the Bible. Now, that's sovereignty. What, now, providence, however, includes what sovereignty doesn't. Stare, bear with me, okay? Providence includes what sovereignty doesn't. Providence, as at least I'm using the word right now, and as most Christians use it, is sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. It's God putting in place his wise purposes. Or you could say that providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. Now you can imagine why a lot of theologians sit around and just spin about all this stuff because it can become quite spinning, but it's actually not that complicated. God is either king and ruler and a benevolent, loving king who in his providence wants his will and way to be lived out. It's the reality that God's see, God is seeing to everything. My grandmother, I remember vividly, she would say to one of us, she would say, go see to this, please. Go see to this. What, what did she mean by that? Go get this done or, or, you know, go see to this. Well, hmm. 
This is the reality about, about providence. Absolutely everything that needs to be done to bring about his purposes, God is doing. Isaiah says, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all. Not some, not selective. I will accomplish all of my purpose, he says. Or we heard it in the 21st Psalm today where, where he promised that he is our God and that will never change and that will never, no matter what, it will never change that he will always be our God. Now, I don't know if you've spent much time sort of parsing, okay, sovereignty, providence, what's the difference? How does God provide through it? But here is a beautiful description that comes uh, just in the Heidelberg Catechism, which if you don't know what the Heidelberg Catechism, once again, Reformation Catechism, 1563, uh, Germany, Lutherans and Catholics, all sorts of things going on, but the Heidelberg Catechism is... Anybody want to tell... By the way, I'm an interactive preacher, okay? Anybody, Anybody want to tell me what a catechism is? Oh, shall I turn to one of my ordinands? Shall I turn to one of my ordinands and ask, do you tell me what a catechism is? It's instruction. It's instruction. It's the teaching of the church in an instructive method where historically it's always been Q&A. That's what catechisms are designed with is questions and then answers. And if, if you don't have, a, 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 for instance, a, a copy of our Anglican catechism, okay, Please talk, talk to any of the leaders here, and they will, they will tell you how to get a hold of one, because it's 300 and something questions, 65 maybe, 365 questions of faith that then are answered. And it's worth it. It's worth going through it. It's worth letting it be part of your devotions. But in the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 27 is, what do you understand by the providence of God? This is what it says. The Almighty, or as my girls, I've got three daughters, and uh, uh, my girls used to say, Daddy, why when you say things, names like God and the Almighty, why do you always lower your voice? <laughs> the Almighty, who is everywhere, the, the everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that the herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. It is not just what God does, it is whom God is. And that's, I believe, that Heidelberg Catechism is a good summary of God's providence, wise and purposeful sovereignty. His sovereignty and providence means that everything that happens 
is according to his plan. Now, how do we process that as we heard from Paul's letter to the Romans today? And Paul's letter, to the, the, the section of Paul's letter to the Romans today comes out of the eighth chapter. And those of us who are older and have been to a few funerals are used to this almost always being read at a funeral. Almost always. What then shall we say to these things? Is God for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, why would these verses be read at a funeral? Remember, I'm interactive. Don't want to pick on all the ordinance. Why would they? Why would they be? Henry, why would they be? Why? What's that? To remind him of his faithfulness, but also to remind us of his sovereignty and his providence. Because at a time of a funeral, at a time of grieving, when more would we want to know that God, God has still got all things in his hands? And it's one reason why the church has used this lesson through the centuries at burial services. Unfortunately, what most folks don't realize is that the glory of what is shared in this eighth chapter, and by the way, if you've never studied Romans or if you've, you're just now getting into uh, maybe studying God's Word, um, Romans encapsulates the Christian faith in absolutely the most effective way of almost any part of the Scriptures. And so when he says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that, I am sure that neither death nor life, not even death, the thing that most human beings fear the most, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. None of those things, none of things that we know are powerful in our life, none of them will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so we sort of stop there and say, wow, yes, thank you, nothing, no matter what I do. And, and some of you, let me tell you right now, if you don't know that you are totally, unconditionally loved by God, if you are still playing games with some sort of self-salvation project, think, thinking that you still need to do something in order to earn God's favor, some checklist that you've devised in your mind that these are the things that are going to get God to love me or accept me, or stop it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus because of his precious blood and because of what he's already done for you. Nothing. He's already done it. We keep trying to do, and he's already done it. Because in his providence and his sovereignty, that's what he was going to do to share his mercy and grace was have his only son die. Have you ever thought about what the most powerful force in your life is? When I ask this question, people oftentimes will say, well, it's love or it's hate. 
Some will say it's fear. Do you know that the most powerful force in your life is choice? Your choice that God gave you. I don't think I would have done it that way. I think I would have done angels and archangels and said, and the rest of you all just behave. But he gave us a choice. A choice to accept, embrace, live, walk with him in this love that Jesus has brought us. So we stop with chapter 8 so often and we, we, we don't go into, for instance, chapter 9. And I want to name a few things because I'm not going to go through chapter 9 because somebody informed me today that you don't have 45-minute sermons anymore. So... So, so, so can't get far into chapter 9. If you're really new, they, they never had 45 minutes. So I'm just, just telling you. And I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you in the weeks to come, okay? So, so November's coming. Just, just November. Just, how about just November? Study Romans 9. When you study Romans 9, you will find that Romans 9 will explain to you how confident you can be that God's word will not fail you. Romans 9 will make you stand in awe of God. Romans 9 will lead you to the depth of the true God-centered worship that he desires from us. True God-centered worship. I love coming here, Ryan, because you and your team draw us so powerfully into true God-centered worship. And I wish I could say that all the churches I go to, because I go to a lot of different churches and a lot of different denominations, and I wish I could say that they all draw God's people into God's, the worship of God. But they don't, in fact, so often is shallow. So often the preaching is shallow. They're, they're just making those everybody feel better. They're just making everybody feel good. They're not looking at God's word and saying, wait a minute, there might be times that you're not supposed to feel good. Because how can God come and minister to you if you don't let yourself not feel good. Romans 9 will help you be amazed at his salvation of you. And John Newton was pretty amazed when he wrote a, wrote a hymn. Do you spend much time contemplating how amazing your salvation is? I do. A wretched sinner that I am, one prone to wander all the time, and yet he desires me and saves me. Romans 9 will show you that if you believe that God has the right to even break your life sometimes, overcome your will, 
make you completely his. But you have to believe that he has both the province and the sovereignty. And you do have to surrender to that effect at some point. My dad just died week before last. Ninety wonderful years. After a long saying goodbye through acute dementia, what I wrote about dad every time somebody reached out to me in a text giving me their condolences was this. He was the finest man I've ever known. Solid. Trustworthy, simple, kind, generous, and content. He will always be one of my heroes. But what you need to know about Dad is that Dad, he did eventually come to accept Jesus as his Savior. After me taking him to men's retreat after men's retreat, giving him Bible after Bible, book after book, finally at one point in God's appointed time, in God's providence, in God's sovereignty, he read a book by Dr. Tim Keller entitled The Reason for God. And in the middle of that book, he accepted Jesus as his Savior. What I don't know, though, because that was just a few years ago, what I don't know, though, is did he ever have the chance to surrender to him as his Lord? Because you see, you can, you can accept Jesus as your Savior and never surrender to him as, your, as his Lord, as your Lord. You can do that. I don't see how, personally, but it happens. So this is what I know in God's providence and God's sovereignty. I've prayed for Dad for 40 years. And I believe in his process of sanctification since he accepted Jesus as his Savior. I believe that there is, was probably some evidence of him surrendering to him as his Lord. As his Lord. How about you? How about you? I would guess that many of you, not all of you, but most of you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. Surrendering to Him as your, as, as, as your Lord is part of what coming to accept and embrace His sovereignty, His providence, and His provision. Lord Jesus, as I gave thanks even as I drove up this morning, I thank you for every, every individual, every family, every marriage gathered here this morning. And I pray that wherever they are in their process of becoming more and more like you, I pray, Lord, Come to them in your love and in your mercy.
embrace them. Let them know how much you love them. Let them know your pleasure in them. Not because of what they've done or not done, but because of what you've done for them. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.